So this morning, I'd like to explore the theme of um, making new beginnings and offer a number of reflections and uh, some guided meditations, guided reflections on the theme of making a new beginning in our lives, in our practice. And I'm uh, partly inspired um, to do that by the fact that today in the uh, Jewish holiday cycle is Yom Kippur today. And some of you know that it's actually the holiest day of the year. It's the uh, day particularly of what's called atonement, which can be also understood as at-one-ment. It's quite a wonderful day and has a personal meaning also because uh, my father died uh, seven years ago on Yom Kippur and uh, wasn't the same as it were Western calendar day, but in the, in the cycle it was, it was this day. And I, I was reflecting that there, you know, there are almost like different ways that we have uh, new beginnings. And often the fall, with the beginning of the school season, it's for many places, it's the beginning of a new fiscal year, and so forth. And it really has a lot of the qualities of a new beginning in, in this culture, that we often, in a sense, begin things with the fall. So it's, it's interesting that in the... Uh, Jewish calendar, that's when the new cycle begins. There's also a lot to be said for a new cycle beginning in um, December and January with the, the uh, solstice and the coming of the light the, and, the, and the, as it were, the stirrings inside of the earth coming back to life again. That's also makes some sense as a new beginning. Maybe we can have two new years every year. That would perhaps might be beneficial. So partly in that spirit of Yom Kippur and also a little bit in recognition that um, Spirit Rock is at least in part something about the meeting of Buddhist and Jewish traditions with, with our, our, I don't know if we want to call it our patriarch and matriarch being <laughs> Jack and Sylvia, who I sometimes think bring together the Dharma and Buddhist tradition with the Jewish humor lineage, <laughs> which is well represented among the teachers. And I'm also happy that we actually are diversifying uh, in terms of the teachers after some time of having a heavy Jewish emphasis. So that, that's a little bit of a joke. So, <laughs> sorry. I once. I once did a, uh, I once did a, like a prose piece on the meeting of the, Bo the Buddha, uh, the indigenous raven figure, the, who's also a trickster, and Jewish humor. I think there's something, maybe that's what Spirit Rock represents, I don't know, some, at least three reference points. Okay, maybe another exploration of that another time. <laughs> can bring in bringing that peace, because there's also the indigenous presence is also very important. Okay, so um, I think that um, having that sense of a new beginning and um, 
developing intentions for a period is actually something very crucial that we do. In a sense, we may do that uh, every day with our practice, but there's also a value of having a period in which we reflect deeply on how things have been, uh, what our own shortcomings are, where we would do things differently, and how we relate to our deeper intentions. It's a very important part of our our lives and practice. And what I'd like to do today is to um, guide us personally to do that, and also to do that as a as a group. Um, and in the in the tradition of Yom Kippur, the emphasis is particularly to look at our own shortcomings, not in a judgmental way. And that's sometimes challenging, right? How can I look at where I fall short, but do so in a way that's constructive, that really uh, helps me to see what's important, to let go of what's not important, and to do so without getting into uh, self-judgment. Not so easy. Not so easy for, for uh, many of us. You know, to say, what's, uh, where am I out of alignment in my life? Where am I not in my own integrity, so to speak? And where am I? You know, and how do I want to, how do I want to move? And I, I was also reflecting that this is really the spirit of our practice that we do every day and uh, really every moment. That there's something very beautiful about our practice, which is, which is always about new beginnings. <coughs> the essence of our practice is to find ways to be fully present with what's happening. Sometimes what's happening is hard, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's beautiful, sometimes it's painful, and so forth. But to be present and over time work through the way that the past constrains us. You know, and all of us have ways that the past constrains us, whether it's in our personal conditioning, our personal history, our own wounds, our own injuries, uh, or in the way that that's happened more on a cultural and social level, the way that I may have uh, internalized dam- damaging messages from the society you know, in being this kind of person, in being a woman, or being a man, or being a person with this sexual orientation or that sexual orientation, that there are cultural and social messages which can be extremely um, limiting, damaging, and even paralyzing for periods of our time. And part of our practice is to find ways to uh, work through, I think, both the personal and the collective dimensions of these kind of constraints and this kind of conditioning. It's not easy. This is the process of coming towards greater freedom liberation. You know, and this is, I think, really what humans are meant to do. This is our, this is our, um, our personal and collective uh, deep aspiration. You know, we may see that and do that in different ways, but in a way, our practice here is to use attention to the present moment as a core method or tool to bring about that freedom and liberation. And so we, we attend to the present, and sometimes we can just be with the present moment. I can just be 
looking at the tree or being with the sunset or being with my breath. And then sometimes I see ways that I am reactive, that I am pushing away the present moment or that I have negative thoughts which come from the past or that I have fears about the future and so forth. And we use the method of continually coming back to the present and not being dominated by the past. It's, a, it's an incredible practice. You know, it's not easy and we have to sometimes sit with the residues of the past and be with it. Be with them, I should say. And that's, uh, that can be rough, particularly when it doesn't um, seem to go away for a while. Right? That can be rough and sometimes we need, always we need support and so forth. So the practice is that of no matter what's happened in the past, we can begin again. It's a tremendously uh, freeing message. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened on your way here, you know, no matter what happened uh, for uh, 5, 10, 15 years in your childhood, we can make new beginnings. And we can, we can, in a sense, our practice helps us to do that. Our practice helps us to come back to the present. And it's... Um, it's beautiful and powerful, and I know for me, it's, you know, when I see and I'm with people who have had really hard pasts, either, again, on a, from a personal or collective level, and I see them being able to be free from those pasts, it's one of the most moving experiences that I have. You know, I'm you know, thinking of, you know, just for an example, seeing some of the uh, uh, films from the Civil Rights Movement and seeing older black men and women who have had uh, lifetimes of oppression and see them standing up with dignity and not really being uh, crippled by the past is, is for me, very, uh, get become very emotional with that. There's something about that power of, um, of um, acknowledging that the past is there or that things have been hard or bad and somehow finding ways both to heal and to come back to the present. And it's really the uh, grace of our practice. It's, it's, uh, it's the sense of a, really of a new, a new beginning. These are from the, uh, uh, this is from the text of the, uh, of the Buddha. Do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply, as at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. And so that's our continual practice. And by using the word practice, we mean that it's not easy and it's something that we have methods and tools to uh, work with, but that it's... um, in a sense, uh, as uh, one, one of my uh, early teachers, uh, Joseph Goldstein's teacher from, uh, from Bengal, uh, named Munindra, said, all of this is very, very simple, but it's quite hard. <laughs> right. Conceptually, it's not, there's not that much to it sometimes. Of course, we can get very sophisticated with complex analyses of the mind and of conditioning and 
how you know, the body and the mind and the emotions intersect and the complexities of how culture and individuality and family and all this intersects and conditioning and coming to freedom and so forth. But it's also very simple. You know? And um, that's good to remember. So traditionally, there are a number of reflections that are very helpful for these periods of um, coming to a new beginning. And sometimes these reflections are done every day. Some of you know in the Tibetan tradition there is a set of four reflections which are said to turn the mind towards freedom or liberation. And these are uh, often done every day as short reflections, every morning. Could be for 10 minutes. And I've, I've taught on this once, I think, here about, I think about over two years ago, these four reflections. The first is, in, is on the preciousness of a human life. And to remember, to remember that. And these are valuable to do, again, daily, but also if we take a period, maybe, again, in the... Uh, Jewish cycle, this is the period now of taking actually about 10 days to have, as a quiet time, also in the, in the Islamic tradition of Ramadan, very similar. You know, it comes also around, around the, this time that we take, the, and, and I think culturally we tend to do this in a highly imperfect way around New Year's. <laughs> you know, we sometimes mix the idea of reflection with the idea of getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and being distracted by shopping. You know, but anyway, that's another set of issues. So, um, but we, 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 also, we also, people have time off from work at that time. So it, it, for some people it happens. A lot of people go on retreats. You know, we have our retreats here you know, are full with a waiting list uh, way, way in advance because people love to do retreats around that time and have this sustained reflection. So we can reflect on the preciousness of a human life. You can do that for a sustained period or do it every day for a short time. What this does is it tends to help one prioritize what's important in one's life. That's what all this is about. You know, a second reflection is on impermanence and death. You know? And we hear when we do our group practice at the end of the uh, silent time, and we hear of people in some distress or we uh, are reminded that things are impermanent. Uh, the re- death is a reality. We don't know the time and place and manner. But that it will come as a certainty. And um, it's good to reflect on that. You know, I had, a, I had a friend. I have a friend who was a, a Vietnamese monk named Thich Minh Duc, who was a Dharma heir of Thich Nhat Hanh. And every time I would see him, he would always bring up this. He would say, you know, I don't know whether, um, you know, I don't know whether I will walk out and be hit by a car tomorrow. You know, and I always thought he was being a little overly Buddhist or something. <laughs> but, uh, but there's something, but, you know, and it actually is very helpful. You know, I've done these reflections every day for periods of time, and it really, it's not morbid so much or negative, but it really helps put things in perspective because we take a lot for granted and we're on automatic a lot, right? And this really helps us to see things more, more freshly and be more in the present moment. The third is to, in, in the Tibetan tradition, is to know the reality of karma in that tradition, which means 
that our actions have consequences. Essentially, it means that what we do tends to lead to more of the same doing in the future. Another way of saying it is that everything we do, we could say in the, in the context of the study of the brain, everything we do sets down neural pathways. Right? Everything we do sets down neural pathways, and the more we follow certain neural pathways, the stronger they become. Simple as that. Another way to say it, what we do tends to habituate ourselves to doing that, whether it's positive or negative. And so we can be aware of that. Every action matters. And we can also, uh, the fourth is to remember, um, if I would say it in slang English, I would say that it, it, the fourth is, the fourth reflection is, suffering is a bummer. Suffering is a bummer. Yeah, bummer. We could say it um, in other ways, you know. But it's basically to know that when, when we're unconscious and driven by habitual tendencies, we will suffer in small and large ways. And to reflect on that means, can often lead to a sense of, I really want to learn not to suffer so much. I really want to engage in the learning process more, you know, again, in, in, in the small and large ways. And there are similar reflections in the Theravada tradition where sometimes we're urged to reflect. There's a set of ten subjects for daily reflection. And the Buddha said, these are, thing, these are ten things that a person should, who is a practitioner should reflect on. Yeah. And, and I'll just mention a few of them. It's to remember that my very life is sustained by others. To know that I'm in a web of interdependence is a valuable reflection. Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? It's another one. Could my spiritual companions find fault with my conduct? Presumably in a non-judgmental way. <laughs> Another reflection, similar to the one on impermanence, all that is mine, beloved, and pleasing will become otherwise, will become separated from me. The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I made that a little dramatic and humorous, but it's actually a valuable reflection. How am I spending my time? And so these, these kinds of reflections are valuable. And they're, again, they're ones that are done in this tradition and at the time of Yom Kippur. And so I'd like to just um, ask you to do some reflections right now. This is, this is uh, not necessarily to be written, uh, written down, but you can if you wish. Um, I just want to ask uh, a few questions for your own reflection, entirely for yourself. This is not, we're not going to be, I'm not going to ask you to speak publicly about whatever you reflect on. This is just for yourself. What calls to me as the one or two areas in my life 
where I have fallen short and where I want to make a new start? Are there one or two areas in my life where I have fallen short in some way? You can use whatever language works for you. Um, where I am out of alignment or out of integrity, whatever language you use, and I want to make a new start. Are there one or two areas where that's the case? And when we reflect on this, we can, we can think of, am I out of alignment in my different relationships? You know, it could be with parents or children or partner, friends, community members. Am I out of alignment in my work and my offerings to, to others? Yeah. How well do I take care of my body and my health? We can really look at all these different areas. How much do I really give priority to my deeper intentions? Do I get overly distracted? There are distractions out there. (laughs) Do I get overly distracted? Am I too outwardly preoccupied so I don't attend to my own personal needs. Am I too inwardly preoccupied so I don't help attend to the needs of the world? One of the ways that we can uh, make a new start that's very, very helpful is through letting go as much as we can of any grudges or resentments that we have towards others or towards ourselves. And we do this really uh, in, in different ways. One way is through the practice of forgiveness. And it's important to remember that when we talk about letting go of grudges and resentments, we are not saying that what happened was okay. Same thing with forgiveness. That's a very important part of it. And it's also not saying that we shouldn't continue to act about it. That one can have forgiveness internally and still set boundaries, act, 
hold someone accountable, and so forth. That's very, it's a very crucial, cru- crucial point. But the, what, what we're doing really, it's really understanding that when we are reactive towards another or towards ourselves based on what happened in the past, in a way we are caught. We are in a kind of a, a prison when we're reactive. Again, when we're clear and just say, I want to uh, set this boundary, hold this person accountable because that's important for our relationship or for justice or whatever. That's, that's a different matter. But it's really about, am I shooting the second arrow? Remember that teaching, which those of you who hear me regularly know that I like to give that about every third talk. <laughs> but some of you have not heard it. So, uh, this is this wonderful teaching. To me, it's actually the, one of the most condensed ways to get at the core teaching, which says that all of us have a certain amount of pain in our lives. The Buddha said, we're as if shot by an arrow. We all have a certain amount of the unpleasant, the pain, the pain of the body not feeling good, of illness or injury, the pain of difficult emotions, the pain of being treated unfairly or unjustly. Uh, We all have that to a certain extent, some more than others. And the teaching that he gave and said that, in a sense, the presence of the unpleasant or the pain is there for everyone. Again, different degrees for different people. But the problem is not so much that. The problem is that because of the presence of that first arrow, because of the presence of the pain, we tend to react. And we, with physical pain, we contract. You know, or maybe we blame ourselves. You know, but we contract physically. You know, and there's that incredible statistic that I've mentioned many times that doctors say that as much as 80% of the pain experienced by patients is the reaction and the contraction around the original stimulus rather than the original stimulus. Pretty remarkable fact. We can see that more easily with emotions, you know, where we have a difficult thing happen, we react, and then we might be reactive and brooding and blaming for weeks or you know, hours, weeks, months, years, right, around something that happened. That's easier to see that we, that's called shooting the second arrow, you know. And this is what happens between countries or groups. Wars, conflicts are primarily two parties shooting second arrows at each other, in large part because they can't really open up and be present with the first arrow. Processes of reconciliation, which have happened at different times um, socially, are about opening up to the pain, and that can be profoundly healing and lead to not no longer shooting the second arrow. It's quite remarkable when that happens. And so you can see that this teaching is very fundamental. It's about learning to be more balanced with the unpleasant. So partly it means learning to sit in meditation and be with the unpleasant and notice the tendency to blame, judge, have physical reactions, emotional reactions, and so forth, and to see that, stay with it, and see them come and go, and be able in the end to come back, and can I just be with my anger? 
Can I just be with that physical pain and know when it's wise to move and take care of it and so forth, but to be able to distinguish between the first and second arrow. And that's really why we, the, the fact that we tend from the past to carry things and continually shoot the second arrow. And so the process of renewal or letting go of grudges or forgiveness is about, in large part, no longer shooting the second arrow and being in a kind of learning process so we shoot it less. And it's incredibly significant for making new beginnings because we're a lot, to a large extent, bound by the past and it takes all of our energy, psychic energy in a way, and it's harder to open to what's new if we are bound by the past. And so hence all these practices. Jack Kornfield has a great one-liner where he says that forgiveness is giving up the hope for a better past. <laughs> it's humorous, but it gets right to it, doesn't it? And it's, quite, it's quite good. And I was very inspired by um, being uh, about 12 years ago with a man named Blessing Bangani Finka, who was one of the commissioners of the South Africa Truth and Reconciliation Commission, you know, which was one of the most advanced processes of its kind that's, that's occurred in human history, where a whole nation said, we want to devote ourselves to reconciliation and, in some sense, acknowledge the pain, but try to face it and move on. And it was done imperfectly, but it was done to a larger extent than almost anywhere else in, in the world in human history. And as a, you know, I did a long interview with him, which I published, and it was amazing to learn about that, to hear his stories of people who had endured so much pain but were ready to forgive. You know? There's one story he told of this very horrible event which happened in the mid-80s where a group of uh, African National Congress activists were murdered by the police and then they, uh, the police, after they had murdered them and their bodies were lying around, they had a barbecue, you know, and drank beer and celebrated and so forth. And one of the children of uh, one of the men who was killed, the young man who was killed, was 16, 10 years later, when they did the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And he said, I want to forgive, but I need to know who I need to forgive. I really need to know what happened and know who was there. An incredible, you know, a blessing to say that there's an incredible willingness to forgive, you know, and so forth. It's very, very amazing. So it's a powerful process. And again, it's not about not about um, uh, condoning anything that happened, obviously, but it's about, it's about having some room for understanding what happened and moving on. So I want to do a very brief forgiveness practice with you and then move to a final reflection for, for our morning. Um, so this is, a, this is one way of doing a forgiveness practice. And I'll ask you to just to um, come back to being present. And you might bring to mind some area where you feel like forgiveness would be helpful or letting go of something that happened in the past.
And you might start here with, if, you, if you're not familiar with forgiveness practice, don't start with the biggest thing. Start with something more intermediate and you can work up to it. We also remember that this forgiveness practice is really an intention that we aspire to forgive and that it's like metta practice, some of you know. We don't demand forgive, that there be forgiveness, but we say, I intend to forgive, and we say certain phrases that incline us in that direction, and then we let whatever's there that be there. And sometimes we can aspire to forgiveness, and we say these words, and we feel a blank wall, and that's fine. You know, we're not always ready to forgive, and sometimes we keep doing this, and something shifts internally. So just to know that, that forgive, this practice is not designed to produce instant forgiveness or else something's wrong with you. And then we'd have to do another forgiveness practice to forgive yourself for messing up the first forgiveness practice, which obviously could go on for a while. Okay, sorry, sorry for the humor in the midst of a serious topic. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, it can bring to mind some relationship or something that happened in the past that in a way is holding you back, you might think or reflect, from, from really aligning yourself with what's most important. And there'll be three phases. The first, <clears throat> the first phase are lines in which you ask for forgiveness for someone else for what you have done. The second is where you offer forgiveness to someone else for what, uh, in light of what the other person has done. And the third is where you forgive yourself for how you might have... Um, not taking the best care of yourself or hurt yourself in some way. So I'll say these three and I'll just leave a pause for reflection at the end of each of them. In any way that I have harmed you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. In any way that I have harmed you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I ask for your forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. And then the second, in any way that I have been harmed by you, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer you forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment.
And then the last, the last uh, phrases, and again we are saying these to ourselves and letting the phrases represent our inclination or intention to forgive in the long run and knowing that this is a practice. And we, we really, um, in saying the phrases, state that intention and then we let whatever happens happen. And we know that when we do this process over time, it will support the process of forgiveness. So the third, in any way that I have harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer myself forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. In any way that I have harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, by thought, word, or action, I offer myself forgiveness as much as is possible in this moment. Now I want to do one final reflection, and this is where the uh, paper is involved. <coughs> I'd like you to, um, on your piece of paper, or, you know, or if it works better for you, just to reflect <coughs> without writing. That, that may be the case for some. I want to um, ask you to, re- to uh, reflect on and then write down three aspirations that you have for the next period. You may think of it as the next year or the next, uh, the next period of time. And these are three aspirations for yourself. And the first is in relationship to your own being, your own individuality. What aspiration do I have for myself? And the second is, uh, what's my aspiration for my life in relations with others? So as it were, the first is more about your, your personal, you could say your personal development. The second is about your, your life with others, your life of relationship. And the third is for your life in relationship to the larger world and the, the well-being of the world. So for each of those, what is your aspiration? The first, more personal, personal development maybe, this, and they're interrelated. The second, with others. 
and the third in relationship to, to the world. And you can make these work for you if, it, if you need to just find the aspirations which are most strong. But I'm inviting one for each of those three areas. And take about another 30 seconds or so to finish up if you haven't finished, or at least to make a note so if you want to continue later, you know where to continue from. And now I'd like to take one more step. Strong intentions become stronger when they're expressed publicly. But to preserve a certain degree of anonymity, we will express our intentions publicly, but we will all say them at the same time. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> and you can whisper if you wish. Okay, so I'm gonna ask us, and those with, you know, like a few pages, you'll, you can, through your whispering when everyone else is sort of quiet. But, um, so I'd like you, you can, uh, okay, so is that okay? I'm going to ask you to everyone's, because it, it and, and later, if you wish, you could show it to a friend, totally optional. But that will actually give more power to it if someone else witnesses it. Or if we hear it, uh, we won't, we'll hear it as, which is, but it'll be out there, okay? So it actually is significant from the point of view of cause and effect. Okay, ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Okay, one, two, three. Everyone at the same time. If you haven't finished yet, you can keep whisper. <laughs> okay. May these uh, beautiful intentions be considered as empowered by being uttered in this morning session with all of us as witnesses, all of us hearing, and may they be dedicated to our own well-being, to the well-being of those we're in close contact with, and to the well-being, ultimately, of all. Again, may these intentions be with you, and may they uh, come to uh, come to fruition with uh, our own efforts and with the support of others, and with our participation in this uh, in this network of community. Thank you.